we live a long and healthy life, we get to the end and we look back and say, well, who, who am I? And what did I accomplish? But more importantly, who did I become? Alcoholism, like we got tons of research showing the negative effects and, you know, the people that want to give up on being an alcoholic, there's support groups and there is nothing for workaholics. Nothing. You need to have your why. You need to know what you want to become. You need to manage your time and be productive, but have boundaries outside of work. What are you? Balance is making time for your highest priorities in life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flow Over Fear podcast, where it is our mission to help you to rise above fear and realize your ultimate potential in leadership and life. I'm your host, Adam Hill, and it is my goal to share with you the human side of high performance. My guests share their experience with fear, anxiety, struggle, challenge, and most importantly, despite all of it, how they rose above it to achieve incredible results. So if you're ready to rise up, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Flow Over Fear. Thank you so, so much for being here today. My guest today is Dr. Travis Perry, and he is an expert on balance. No, he's not a gymnast, I don't think, but he has spent the better part of his career helping professionals and couples achieve greater work-life balance, an incredible feat given the fact that he and his wife have eight kids. Dr. Perry is a sought-after international speaker, inspirational coach, and an international best-selling author of the book, Achieving Balance, The Make Time Method, to help advisors reach business and personal goals in an overworked world. And his new book, Balanced Growth, is hitting the shelves, real and virtual, as we speak. Dr. Perry has earned a joint PhD in family relations and human development to better understand the balance from a family systems perspective and has since founded the Make Time Institute, which has helped thousands of financial professionals in all 50 states to grow balanced businesses. He is a sought-after industry speaker and the host of the Balanced Growth Show, a Feedspot Top 25 Financial Advisor podcast. His greatest accomplishment in life is become, becoming a husband to his beautiful and talented wife of over 20 years and the father to his eight amazing children. And that's just incredible, man. Welcome to the show, Travis. Good to have you here, man. Thanks, Adam, for that intro. I appreciate you letting me be here, man. Yeah, no, it's it's my pleasure and honor. Honestly, I I love the work that you're doing. I love your book. Um, I, I I've read it over the course of a weekend. It was it was really really insightful and really helpful to me. Something I struggle with. Something I know many of us struggle with is that idea of balance. Finding that work life balance. It just seems to be that when we want to achieve a lot in our lives, that that just overwhelms keeps creeping in. So what what got you into this work? I'd love to hear the origin story of Dr. Travis Perry. You know, it's interesting, kind of behind the scenes, I've always wanted to be a public speaker. And I think that annoys people, at least when I was a kid, because it was like, wow, you think so highly of yourself, or you just like to hear yourself talk, or like, no, I like to motivate people. And I want to know things. I've always wanted and fascinated by understanding why things work. It's just kind of a natural thing. Um, and for me, 
humans fascinate me. So mm-hmm. I studied psychology in high school and I really <laughs> had a fun time with that. And with a crazy teacher, uh, different story for another time. But if my high school buddies are listening, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I decided to uh, actually study sociology in college and uh, do a master's in psychology. Along the way, I was I, I own my own business as a financial planner. And there's a lot that goes on in the mind of individuals and clients with their own psychology and decision-making around money. So I learned everything I could that would really help me understand the soft science approach to financial planning. Hmm. And the idea is that one day I would be a good enough financial advisor that people would maybe want to do business the way that I do it. And so I would be an expert speaker. Well, uh, my father, who I was very close with growing up, I was the oldest son. They're, they had six children. My mom and dad had six children. And uh, you know, I was child number two. My sister, we were really close. She was 13 months older than me. So you know, we had this tight friendship. But you know, I, my dad, I worked with him in the family business. We rode mountain bikes together. He spent a lot of time with us. He coached all of my soccer teams and watched me play in high school. Like there, We had some really great connections. And I know some people... They don't have a great relationship with their father, and um, I, I just I don't understand that from a personal experience. But I I can empathize and, or sympathize really with your situation because um, mm-hmm. I know so many people have you know they've had a rough time. But my dad and I were really close. Um, when I was twenty six, um, he he died of a heart attack. He was forty nine. Oof! Wow. And it was on our our favorite trail that we would ride mountain biking like every Saturday in the summertime. We just go on this trail called Chumash Trail. And um, his, one of his best friends with him was an EMT who worked on him for 30 minutes until the helicopter life flight came to take him to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. And it was like a scene out of a movie where um, family, friends, community, church members, they were all at the hospital waiting for the helicopter to land. And it was, you know, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And because of that, um, I rushed uh, down from from Utah as fast as I could without getting any speeding tickets the next morning to be with the family. And I spoke at his funeral. I wrote the obituary. You know, I was a financial advisor. So here mm-hmm. I was helping my mom with kind of the cleanup of everything. And thank goodness dad had insurance and other things in place. But long story short, I had a life-changing experience because of that. It said, I am not living my life as purposely as I should be. And I need to make some major changes. Um, What if I only live to 49? I'm 43 now. What in the world? Like, I still think I'm 26 in my mind. Uh, The body, you know, is is trying to tell me otherwise, but... um, <laughs> that happens around 43, doesn't it? Right? Just, it's like, yeah. what are you doing to me? I'm just, yeah. I'm riding my mountain bike. So, you know, I, I, my wife and I, and I say my wife and I, cause there's no way I'd make these changes on my own by myself in a vacuum. Like she mm-hmm. has been supportive and we've been supporting each other, we made major changes mm-hmm. since then with our health, mm-hmm. the way we school our children, uh, media that we bring into our home. Um, uh, you know, just on, on and on about our lifestyle. And I, I changed my business from being a financial advisor to helping financial advisors who are struggling with not living their purpose, with living their life fully, 
Um, and I found that as I went to write about this, the thing that I heard from advisors was, well, Travis, you know, purpose is good, but I'm really struggling with time. I don't have time to do all this. And <clears throat> I was trained um, along the way to be, to be a time manager, you know, time management consultant. And so I started to figure out, well, this is actually an issue with balance. <clears throat> they're saying balance. This is where they're struggling with. And so I did a PhD in family relations to try to figure out what are the family systems? What's going on with the family part of life balance that is maybe contributing to stress, to heart health, to, um, to the balance equation of, of these business owners. And I spent a lot of my time focusing on that subject, researching it. And then now, um, you know, I'm writing several books about it and speaking about yeah. balance and, you know, having eight children of our own, I have to be balanced man. I have to yeah. be an example of, of not being a workaholic. Well, yeah. And, and I want to, I want to dig into that part because I have two kids <laughs> and you know, they're, they're, they're a little older now, so, but, but I still find that, that challenge of like, you know, how am I going to balance all the things I want to do? I want to be healthy. I want to do the things I want to enjoy. I want to play music. I want to, I want to, you know, be engaged. How, I mean, I guess the big question is, is how do you get balanced? But you've written books about that. <laughs> so like, but from the perspective of someone with eight kids, how does yeah. that family dynamic work? I mean, cause that, that's, I mean, there has to be a lot of going on there. I know you're homeschooling and, yeah. and all of that. Uh, what, yeah. what was it that changed about, you know, when you were 26 that, uh, that, you know, what, what did you start to change in your own lives that contributed to better balance in your own lives? Yeah, I say first off, uh, there's no way I'd be able to do this alone. When my wife goes away, um, which is not as often as she'd probably like by herself to go <laughs> get some time with sisters or family or right. other things, um, and I'm I'm alone with the children, I realize how uh, inept I am at being a dad and a mom. Like being a dad is hard enough. But being a mom and a dad, to me, I just think um, I really, really rely on her. And yeah. yeah, as you mentioned, we homeschool our children. And that was something that kind of was born out of this idea of, well, how do we give our kids the best? How, what is the best for our family? And <clears throat> I did a year of homeschool. And quite honestly, it wasn't my best experience in my life. Thank you, mom and dad, for trying. Uh, but it was like it was before the internet, like the, yeah. the, the, before the dawn of dinosaurs. You know, right. it was like all we had was books. There's like, I mean, there were some some people we got to you know meet up with in some cohorts and things like. But nowadays, like you honestly can school your kids from anywhere in the world. There's really no excuse unless if that's not what you want. And that's fine. I'm not here to say you have to homeschool your kids. Um, but for us, that has worked with our lifestyle and it allows us to teach the values that we want to in our own home. Um, and I, that happened after dad died. Like we, we yeah. made major changes to our diet, our health. Um, and, and then it just kind of, that kind of crept into every other aspect of our life as, <clears throat> as changes in health do, right? Yeah. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I think a lot of us are addicted to food in some way, sh shape or form or fashion. It's, you know, it, it allows for comfort. It allows for a lot of things, but we really looked at that um, because of my dad's passing and because my wife 
at 25, I think, was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, wow. And we're sitting in a bunch of, you know, a doctor's offices trying to figure out what this is with 75-year-old men and women walking through the door and we're there with the baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the doctor's like, um, so I'm diagnosing you with rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, you know, any family history of this? We're like, no, where does this come from? What are you talking about? And he's like, well, the test came back negative, but I'm still diagnosing you with this. We're like, okay. Um, and as he, as we left, he's like, by the way, um, you'll be on medication the rest of your life. I tell this to my wife. She said, and all of the medications that I prescribe will not allow you to have children ever again. They will all be oh, born with deformities and, you know, mental retardation and stuff like that. And she was bawling. Number sure. one, like coming from a, a specialist office that's supposed to give you hope. And even though he misdiagnosed A, um, mm-hmm. B, um, it was it was this final, there's no other options in the world. So you better believe she went to work to try to figure out what could we do. And yeah. That's a whole other story. But um, three, we had three children at the time and we wanted to have a big family. And because we figured out a solution that really changed the, the dynamic of our family, our health-wise, um, we went on to have, you know, five other children because of that. No wow. medication. Um, and that's a, that's a whole other book. Someday I'll get to it. But the, sure. the idea here is like, well, um, work together and be on the same page. Um, but, you know, we need to make time for, for these children that we love and that we've really put a lot of time into bringing them to this world. Um, last thing I'll mention on that too is that, yeah, you have two children. Other people like to compare like, oh, I only have one or two. Children. It doesn't matter. In our case, they didn't come all at the same time. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, we've got a span from 20 down to newborn. Yeah. And I will tell you this, um, our older kids really help out. My wife and I enjoy going on vacations. We enjoy getting out of town um, because our olders can watch all the kids. A lot hmm. of people struggle with that. You know, they got to get yeah. grandma or somebody. And we always kind of have built-in babysitters and they help each other. And with the homeschool mentality, they're there with each other all day. They're really good friends. And I'm not saying that public school kids aren't. I mean, I I came from a big family. We we knocked heads all the time. But um, but I I think that allows for great balance and unity at home. That's interesting. Yeah, I've I've never thought of it that way. And I appreciate that perspective. the, The idea that a bigger family can actually help contribute to kind of taking care of itself. And, uh, and, um, and I would, and I would, I would think regarding the health piece and I don't want to step on the, the balance expert here. So okay, like, tell me your thoughts, but the idea of like being healthy and eating well and, and, um, and taking care of your body, taking care of your seems to be that it would, it would actually increase the energy, which would increase the balance or improve your balance. Am I off base on that? Or is that something that you think would be? No, I think you're right on. Um, yeah. and, and and don't get me, I mean, we talk about change, but you and I both know change doesn't happen like in an instant. It doesn't even happen sure. directionally. Sometimes it's like kind of all over the place. And quite honestly, if I look back at some of the answers I've given you, it's kind of been all over the place. Cause that's kind of how my life was. was yeah. Like, Dad died. My wife's parents divorced two years later. My wife was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. 
We had a major financial blow where we almost lost our home. That was in 2007, 2008, when the Great Recession was going on. Like everything was at the same time. And what I know about stress in my understanding of stress and coping and it's like you can normally handle like one stressor, like a big stressor at one time. Two, mm, it's getting there. But like three plus, you're overloaded and you burn out. And I think a lot of times workaholics who I've studied and and really try to understand is that um, we, I say we because I was one and that, mm-hmm. that became my addiction. My addiction was, well, if I can't handle anything, I'm just going to go to work and figure all this stuff out and I'm going to be da, 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 da. And I started working a lot. Um, but that wasn't the intention. The intention was I, I wanted to work on my health. I wanted to be there for my kids. I wanted yeah. to have it all. But because the financial piece was such a problem during that time, especially Great Recession, um, and there was so much stress there, it just about buried me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah. Yeah. So how, how did you, I, I, that workaholism piece kind of, it, it resonates with me because I mean, I have an ism, alcoholism. Yeah. I feel like I borderline on the, on that, on that workaholism too. I mean, I, yeah. I find myself trying to suppress or ignore other major problems by going to work and just trying to achieve there. Yes. Is that something that, I mean, is that, how, how is that affecting us in terms of our, and how do we, how do we escape that? Is there an AA meeting for workaholics? (laughs) So here's the funny, uh, not so funny is alcoholism. Like we got tons of research showing the negative effects and, you know, the people that want to give up on being an alcoholic, there's support groups and there is nothing for workaholics, nothing. But what was crazy is after my dad dies, like I'm the guy that writes his obituary and I had this aha moment. It was very, a very spiritual moment where I was like, will people show up to my funeral? Will they say this stuff about me? And, you know, it was kind of shallow at first. Like, you know, do I have this kind of impact? My dad was very connected and people loved him. And I was like, I don't know. Um, But then too, he's like, well, quit worrying about that right right now. Focus on your health. Try to be better. Try to. So I went to the doctor and got all tested. He's like, your heart's fine. I'm like, but so was my dad. He mm-hmm. was on his mountain bike. He wasn't on the couch, like watching football and no offense, like football is fine, but, um, but the real football soccer is even better. Anyway. So the reality <laughs> is like, he was not like uh, a couch potato, very, very active cycling a hundred miles a week. And he died what they call a widow maker where yeah. he had one artery in his heart that was 90% clogged. And the other you know, arteries were mm, 20 to 25% ish, right? Which is kind of standard American normal for his age. Mm-hmm. And so the very first sign of this disease that he had was heart attack. Mm-hmm. And um, so that made me really scared. I was actually pretty fearful, speaking sure. of flow over fear. I was pretty fearful. And fear directed a lot of my actions after dad died. So I was like, I'm going to get back healthy because I don't want to die. I don't want to die. That became my mentality until something shifted. And it was like, but what are you living for? What yeah. are you trying to become? Who 
are you trying to become? And that over time, and then all the challenges my wife and I had kind of all at the same time that blew up on us, it seemed like in a year or two, um, really pushed us to dig deep. We did a lot of marriage work. We did a lot of interpersonal work um, and professional work. But then it was like the the business part. How does that all fit in? Well, none of like virtually no one I know has their profession written on their tombstone. Right. I don't know a soul. I've never been to a cemetery. It's like plumber, electrician, you know, public speaker. Like, okay, and, and if and if okay, may, maybe the guy. <laughs> Sorry, I was getting a bad dad joke. Maybe John Crapper has that on his tombstone, Adam. <laughs> that's true. It's a success story of, of coming I mean, up in conversation with the dad right. joke. When- <laughs> There's a plumbing joke. Um, actually, yeah. I do have a dad joke for you, which you get to later. But, um, but you know, and I say that because John Crapper invented the toilet and everything, and my dad was a plumber. So it's kind Is of funny. Is that true? Really? Yeah. John, John, that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's- why they call it the John. Okay. I didn't know that. That's incredible. And I got to go was, to the crapper. I, it's John. I mean, okay. here we are talking. I mean, I thought this was a clean show, buddy, but I guess we're- <laughs> <laughs> it's not anymore. We're going to earn that just- E. We're going to earn <laughs> that little E on it. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, uh, anyway, I mean, uh, plumbing is a dirty job. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> you crack me up, man. <laughs> uh, the best dad jokes are the ones that just come off the, you know, it's off the cuff, but I, I will tell you, like nothing got me motivated than just be like, I, I don't want to be, I want to be 50. So I, yeah. I turned my motivation from, I don't want to die. I was <laughs> freaked. I was freaked. I'm like, I, to, you know, what's my motivation to live? Yeah. Once I changed all that, I, again, I, I started to figure out well, what's my purpose. And I developed a system that, really motivated me at the time and has motivated, I think hundreds, even thousands of people have heard me speak. And that is to create your own mini obituary, not this, like how I died and I did this, but no, really focus on who you became at the end of your life. Psychologists and human developmentalists will say, there's a stage in our life at the end of our life. We live a long and healthy life. We get to the end and we look back and say, well, who, who am I? And what did I accomplish? But more importantly, who did I become? And what are, did I live my values? And those of us who believe in God, like we're going to meet our maker and we're going to have to answer for the stewardship of time that is yeah. this mortal probation. And, and that's going to be the ultimate. So I kind of went from what are other people going to think of me to what will God ultimately think of me? And obviously he loves me and that's truth. But I don't want to disappoint. I want to be who I'm supposed to be in this life. And I believe every person in this world has a mission, whether they accomplish that or not, but has a mission to be here. And and that so that's kind of the sentiment that I, I really wanted to drive. And I believe in good marketing is you give people what they need, but you <clears throat> figure out what they want. And what people kept asking me and telling me is like, well, I, I want time. I want productivity. I want better balance. So I figured out well, what's balance really. In my definition of balance, balance is not trying to do everything at the same time. That's what I, that's where I was going wrong, dude. I was yeah. like, I, I want to do it all. And I'm going to show everybody that I'm just going to outsmart them. <laughs> gonna, you know, some people are, are, are like, they're harder workers. That's fine. Right. Like go be a hard worker. 
I feel like I'm pretty dang smart. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to outsmart everybody and I'm going to be more productive. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But at first I was trying to do it all. I was like, oh, this isn't working. So I became a productive workaholic. Mm. The productive workaholic doesn't have boundaries. He doesn't know when to stop. Sounds like and a functional alcoholic, by the way. That's exactly <laughs> like there's some there's yeah. some there's some uh, you know symbolism here, and I, I honestly like I do believe that's very very similar because a workaholic like they work more when they're stressed. They mm-hmm. don't work less. Yeah, they tend to have this passion um, that drives them to work. And because everything else in their life is falling apart, they actually work more because they get that hit. It's the dopamine hit of, well, you did a great job. I appreciate you as, you know, helping me out as an advisor, a client, you know, uh, of yours that, that loves you and gives a testimonial, whatever it is. Yeah. That's the hit. That's the yeah. drug, buddy. That, that's it. And so um, the productive workaholics don't know how to create boundaries, but they're really productive. And you probably know somebody like this, like they're always doing something they, and they get stuff done, but they're still working long hours. They're sleeping under their desk. They're coming in at four and leaving at nine. It's a sad life. There is no balance. Um, yeah. Now, if I was a single dude and I had nothing else in life going on, I can see how people become workaholics, but I've sure. seen this in almost any industry. Legal oh, attorneys are bad. Um, I've seen it in academia. I was there. Academia is just as bad as anything else. Um, they pretend to have this awesome lifestyle, but they are stressed. Mm-hmm. They are trying to get tenure, and it is hard. Um, you know, if I, as a financial advisor, uh, but it's crazy. Here's some stats: most entrepreneurs are working seventy-two hours a week on average. Seventy-two wow. hours a week. But I mean, it, that sounds crazy. Like, how do we do that? Well, but we take our phone home. We have our email. We text everybody. We've got social media. A lot of us are working from home. And yeah. it, during COVID, you know, I was starting to interview people about this. It became even worse. People that had great balance before yeah. didn't have any boundaries. And I'm like, oh, it's because you, you don't have boundaries. Yeah. That's so crazy to me. That's, I mean, it's, it's, and, and I mean, but it's totally understandable. I mean, the world shifts, the world goes into this, you know, just other, otherworldly thing that we never expected and fear kind of engulfs us. And so what do we do? We lean into work. We have the opportunity to, we're working at home. Our desk is right next to the kitchen table. Oh, Maybe exactly. it is the kitchen Maybe it table. Is the kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so, yeah, we're all, we're working like a hundred percent of the time. I, I felt, I, I was guilty of that looking outside and like not, turning it off until, you know, I heard like dinner was made from the mm-hmm. other room. And even then it was occasionally mm-hmm. like just a few more minutes, you know? Yeah. It's man. Um, it's, it's, a, it's weird when it like hits you out of nowhere on that front. Hey everyone. I interrupt this program to introduce you to a powerful tool that will help you gain clarity on your vision and accelerate your growth and achievement. If you're listening to this show, it is likely that you have an exciting vision for your life. But the problem is, is that we often get caught up in the day-to-day. We get distracted. We face uncertainty, overwhelm, and self-doubt. And as a result, the gap between where you are and where you want to be seems insurmountable. And that's why I created a framework for how you can turn your vision into strategic, disciplined action that will accelerate your results in the next 90 days. I call it the Vision Reflection Retreat. 
It is a two-day solo excursion designed to reignite passion and adventure into your busy life and realign your focus toward your why. This is the very same framework that I use every 90 days to reflect on my own life and my vision and set my goals for the next quarter. And it has been a game changer. And the good news is, is that I'm giving away this Vision Reflection Retreat Guidebook for free when you sign up for my newsletter. Simply go to flowoverfear.com slash retreat and download your free guide and enjoy the journey. I'm intrigued by the fear part because you mentioned the fear part and, I, and there's a part in your book that I, that I have quoted. And I'm sorry, it's towards the end, so I hope I'm not spoiling anything. No, you're good, dude. But um, uh, this was from your first book, by the way, not the, not the yeah. second book, Achieving Balance. So you see fear can be helpful. It warns us in making bad decisions. It keeps us from making bad decisions, staying in an abusive relationship or getting hit by a car, et cetera. The reality is we learn from these fears. We learn these fears from our parents, our past relationships, and life experiences we don't want to repeat again. For fear, pre- uh, fear prevents us from getting hurt. That is a good thing. But fear and anxiety, which keeps us from taking action. Um, oh, I'm sorry. But the fear and anxiety, which keeps us from taking action toward our goals, is different from the general fear, which keeps us protected. I love that part because oh, it thanks. speaks to this idea that. Fear is not fear is a feeling we're going to feel. And you mentioned the fear earlier in that and that you're afraid, but and it sounded like even then it drove you to action, which is kind of what you get to here. Uh, yes. I was wondering if you could kind of maybe touch on that and and maybe transition into how how that can fuel us into finding that balanced life. Yeah, absolutely. So fear is a great it can be a great motivator. Um, some people are honestly, they're afraid to fall off a cliff. So they're going to stay as far away from the edge. And it, it's a crazy thing. Like, can you drive a car? Like people talk about this all the time with like, have you ever had that thought? Like, I'll just drive off the edge. And you're <laughs> like, ah, like, no, don't do that. Like, but like we, it's like our arms, like we won't let us do that uh, um, yeah. unless maybe we're on drugs or something, but like it, we know we're not going to do that, but the mind plays tricks on us. And it, it, you know, it, it can keep us from getting the things that we want, but oftentimes fear can be a, a very good short-term, short-term motivator. Uh, you know, if we look at parenting styles, parents that parent out of fear all the time, eventually a kid like just learns not to be afraid of it. <laughs> <laughs> fear doesn't work anymore. You better That's do true. this yeah. or you're not going to get that. You know, it's like, oh my goodness. Um, you know, it's constant taking away, constant. Um, and then we wonder why our kids grow up and they don't want to accomplish things. Well, unless somebody lights a fire under them, it's because this is how we've trained them. So I do believe that a lot of fears that we've learned in life come from our family of origin come from maybe our siblings beating us up or being bullied at school. Like these early on experiences as we are developing our mind, which our brain doesn't fully develop to like 25 anyway. So, I mean, not even halfway past that point, like in, in life. So I, we're, we're constantly having people um, try to motivate us with fear. Look at mm-hmm. advertising. A lot of times it's FOMO, like don't miss out on this. And we're going to come into, you know, uh, you know, I'm not sure where this is going to air, but we're coming into, you know, Thanksgiving and the day after Thanksgiving is the biggest FOMO day of the year. (laughs) That's right. You know, don't miss these deals. Don't miss it. Ah! They wait in line for hours to get that TV or that trampoline. 
I've yeah. only done it once, Adam. I've done it once. You've gone was, into the Walmart? Really? Uh, yeah, I went into, I, uh, actually, it wasn't Walmart. <laughs> I hate Walmart, but uh, I went into like the sporting goods store and it was like five in the morning and the line was already like an hour and a half long. And wow. I was trying to get a trampoline for the for the children. I'm trying to save the children. <laughs> it's the children. It's, it's for all the children. The children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, as a starving, you know, PhD student <laughs> saying, well, an hour and a half is still worth $200. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I'm going to go there now. That's true. <laughs> you know, so anyway, um, but it, it can be a great motivator. It just doesn't yeah. usually last long enough to keep us motivated and it tends to dull our responses. So what happens is we still keep those fears, but we keep them subconsciously mm-hmm. and we hold on to them. And that fear of missing out on something may be really triggered because your parents, when you were a kid, took away a responsibility, an opportunity, a friendship, you know, you have to eat all your food um, or you can't have dessert, right? Like there's things that are, are, are kind of triggered subconsciously and we tend to grow these fears they get planted and they grow as fear of failure or fear of success. Now there's different types of fears, but those are like the two big branches in this fear tree that I describe in the book. And yeah. you know, the, the, the problem is that when you go to make a business decision and you've been motivated by fear most of your life, then that subconscious fear, even though you could do all the T-charts and you could do the analysis and all of it, a lot of times what you're doing is you're just trying to come up with data to justify making a decision based on your subconscious fear. Yeah. Yeah. So I see people do this all the time. And it keeps them stuck in addiction, buddy. It keeps them stuck as Hmm. a workaholic. Why? That's interesting. Yeah. Because they're afraid. They're afraid yeah. that if they do anything different, or are they afraid that they can't do anything different because they're afraid to fail so they won't try, or they're afraid that they'll actually be successful and then something new will happen and then they'll have to figure out how this new life is and people don't like change. Hmm. So we usually have a fear of failure or fear of success or a mixture of both, but I've found that every time I take people through this process to kind of uncover where their fears are, it's a learned behavior. It's subconscious and they can get through it. They can get past it, but it's just uncovering it first. Mm-hmm. That, and that it's interesting. And you answered my question, uh, my next question, because it, as you were, as you were talking through that, I was putting, putting the puzzle pieces together of how that fear, that, that subconscious fear it was driving more towards workaholism. But it seemed like that, that when we're pushing in that workaholism or, or when we're acting in that, you know, workahol, workaholism, yes, is that the word? Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when we do that, I mean, we're, we're not, if, if we're not willing to change or we're doing that to avoid change, we're just spinning wheels. We're not even making progress at that point. Uh, so what, what kind of tools, uh, to someone who may be just becoming self-aware of this idea that they're just not balanced, that they're, maybe they're having that struggle. Maybe they're having that wake up moment of like, man, I need to get my stuff together and find this balance for the sake of my family, for the sake of my children or, or my career. What, what are like the first steps? Yeah. I appreciate that question. I'd say the first steps is real deep inner work. What do you want to become? 
we talked about values earlier, like identify your values. I, I have a, a exercise in the book, Achieving Balance, called the Mini Obituary Worksheet. And really, there's 10 areas of life. You can slice and dice them however you want, but there's 10, <laughs> and, <laughs> at least in my book. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're going to have to figure out who do you want to become in these mm-hmm. different areas of life. Um, and I, I would challenge you to, to take some time and write it out. Like, I want to become this person at work, this person at home, this person with my health. And then find the characteristics that describe you or attributes that describe you. And those are your values. Is it trustworthy? Is it successful? Whatever it is, it describes you. So that somebody could literally stand up like they did at my dad's funeral. And I had a brother who stood up and just read all my dad's attributes. That's That was his talk. Wow. And, you know, you could stand up and just read those out loud. Yeah. And then the work becomes, well, how do I utilize my time so that I can become in each of these areas? So this is where the rubber meets the road is take it, do a time audit, find where are you spending Mm -hmm. all of your time? Most people don't do this. I want to change my time, but I just want to tip a trick, a hack. They don't want to do the inner work that's required. So they... Don't do it. Why? Because they're afraid. It's the yeah. fear, right? And so we'll get yeah. to this in a second. Um, and, and so find out where you're spending the time and then make a conscious decision. I made a conscious decision. I want to work 25 hours a week, max. Bro, this is how I do it. I spend 25 hours a week at work so that I can be with my family. We can go on trips. I can, I do daddy dates with each of my kids. Like every day I read books to them. I, I tell them stories at night. Like it, my family time is huge. Like I put a lot of family time on my calendar on purpose. Yeah. So I'm no longer a victim of fear. Fear does not control me. My proactive calendar that I've set for myself is how I'm going to live my life. Even times where I'm stressed out. And quite honestly, uh, dude, yesterday I was stressed. I had some yeah. things going on in my life that I just, I, I couldn't deal with. I went home um, halfway through the day. I'm like, no, I'm checking out. Why? Because if I stick around at work all day, what am I going to get done? What quality of work is going to happen? How will that impact other people who I want them to be like, okay, balance man, he knows what he's doing, but I'm not going to stick around and work on something that I don't have any interest in right now. When I right. could be going home. So I went home and took my girl out to my, my seven-year-old daughter to go geocaching. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like that was like, she, she'll be filled up for days. She'll say, yeah. she'll say, she's a little, she told me, thank you this morning. Yeah, that was so great. We got potato chips and we went out look for, looking for tiny little messages in bottles hidden in trees and under rocks all over our town. It's not about that. It's about, she got to sit in the front seat with dad and she was special. Yeah. And the kids, they will, I mean, they see, they, they, there's, there's so much joy in the small things that, I mean, in, in those kinds of things, it can bring you joy. Even just like the, something like potato chips. I went and bought potato chips with dad. I mean, those things are amazing. And and this is, I mean, you, you kind of glossed over it, but you said you work 25 hours a week. Yeah. That's your work week. I mean, and you accomplished a lot. You're a speaker, you're, you're, you're a coach, you are, you know, you're helping people find this balance. So you're not just, you're not just talking about it, you're doing it. And, um, 
And I think that's powerful because one of the things that I think when we get to that point of like achievement, when we're starting to achieve a lot of things, things, things start coming in and we have to be deliberate about finding those boundaries, right? right. So are you finding that you're saying no to a lot of things? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No. No. Yes. No. You're not. Uh, yes. <laughs> affirmative. Are you not saying no to a lot of things? No. I am absolutely not saying yes to everything. Um, you know, I'll tell you this, Adam. You nailed it. Like boundaries. I, yeah. I, I realize I'm. You know, I think I have a little bit of ADD, and I think business owners we all do. But I was alluding to earlier. Balance is not equilibrium. Balance is making time for your highest priorities in life. I'm not the priority Nazi. I'm not going to go around and slap your hand if, oh, you didn't do priorities, right? I'm not the Dave Ramsey of priorities, okay? But what I am is hopefully an example. I believe inspire, not require. I, we believe that for our children. And so if I'm not doing a good job, I need to change because my children will see me. And, you know, mm-hmm. if I mess up as a dad, which I do at least once a day, I apologize. I yeah. say I'm sorry. And I try to work harder, not because, you know, um, of anything other than I want to show my children that I am working and don't just do it because dad says to. Like, inspire yeah. your children. So that's been my mantra as balance man is to be an inspiration. And hopefully I am. Because most of the stuff I put on social media, uh, I wish I had cool dad jokes like you that I could, and maybe I'll get on that bandwagon. But, um, but you know, I, I think, which I love, dude, like, you're so stinking funny. I can't even tell you. It's so fun to watch your stupid Facebook posts show up. I'm like, oh, there's another dumb dad joke. Well, and isn't, I it, love isn't it strange? It. So that funny. You- so funny. Yeah, but isn't it strange that that's what I'm prioritizing? You're twerking 25 <laughs> hours of work at a week and I'm prioritizing, like, got to get my dad oh my joke gosh. out today. You got to craft a good dad joke. <laughs> I love it. That's your, that's your thing. But you know what? Um, what? What we got to do is now utilize the time to become that person by prioritizing what matters most. But Travis, I have to work. That provides for my family. Yes, we all have to work. And I'm not saying that you should only work 25 hours, mm-hmm. but do you have to work 72 or 90 or at a client was working 120? How do you even survive working 120 hours a week? That yeah. is diagnosable. That is diagnosable. Anything we over 55 yeah. is diagnosable. We have 168 hours in a week total. I mean, exactly. you have to sleep in there. <laughs> you got to sleep. How you got to eat. Yeah. I don't know how you do yeah. anything else. But, wow. um, you know, I think I was mentioning this earlier on is that this idea that at least with this addiction, mm-hmm. there is no AA for workaholic. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I have not found anything uh, similar yeah. because we wear it like a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Our society is all about be everything you want to be, unless that's a dad or right. a mom. Oh, yeah. yeah, Don't do that. <laughs> But be an astronaut. Go to the moon. But don't spend time with your kid. Like, that's so overrated. When you can be on your phone all day long checking Instagram. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not perfect at this. But our priorities as a society are screwed up. They're screwed up. Where's the support for dads who, quite honestly, um, five times more than the average American entrepreneurs, business owners 
uh, are are killing themselves. Suicide rates are five times more than any other individual in society. Wow. Like I get it. There's lots of problems in our society. There's lots of them. But there is virtually no help for workaholism. I didn't want to write a book, though, about workaholism. I wanted to focus on the opposite. What's the good side? And so my wife came up with the title. She's like, Achieving Balance. That's it. That's your title. I'm like, you're right. That's what it is. It is about achieving balance. And as I wrote this, I realized that, yeah, you need to have your why. You need to know what you want to become. You need to manage your time and be productive. But have boundaries. Outside of work, what are you? (laughs) Yeah. Are you just a couch potato being, you know, reactive to everything that's happening? Or do you have hobbies? Do you have friends? Do you spend time with your children, your wife? Do you go to church? Do you serve in the community? There's other things. And if you fill your time outside of work with those things, those are your boundaries. Yeah. And what, what what I love about that first book, and, and I want to kind of yep. transition into your second book as we go is, in, in a second, but what I love about this book, your first book here, is it is like a guidebook. I mean, it is a step-by-step path to balance and prioritization and, you know, living a, living that life of balance. It, it is really well-written. And I mean, for somebody Thanks. who has a PhD who's worked on the science of it, you know, putting it in a simple format that everybody can work through, finding that, writing that mini obituary um, and, um, and, and really building out your values and letting that drive your priorities. This is, it's a great read and, uh, and a really, you know, just a great exercise everybody should, should participate in. So get, get that book and then get order the, the next book that he's, that he's got, um, which is, um, which is uh, Balanced Growth. And I want you to talk about that. Can, can yeah. you share a little bit about what that one's yeah. going to be about and how it's different? I'll transition. Because at the end of sure. Achieving Balance, um, I felt like I had to kind of cut it off, kind of pinch it mm-hmm. off. I'm like, okay, this is it. This is done. Um, but I wanted to continue. And I left uh, you know, the reader with a whole chapter on fear. And I tried to give a little bit of flavor of, okay, you have your time, you have your boundaries, but... You could get to the top of what I call the workaholic trap and still be stuck um, Mm -hmm. as what I refer to as a personal developer, someone who's constantly, you know, trying to improve oneself by oneself instead of developing with your spouse. Now, (laughs) I'm going to talk to those, you know, married people out there. And of course, if you're not married, I still have a solution for you, but, um, and it's not just get married, but it is very much find an accountability partner. But if you yeah. are married, your spouse is not just someone that, you know, hi, bye, see ya. You should be creating a relationship with that person. You should have goals, health goals, financial goals, relationship goals, parenting goals. Um, not, not because it's a hashtag couple goals or, you know, uh, on, on social, but because it's actually good science. You mentioned the science. This is what I studied. Right. I found that couples that actually do this on a regular basis have better psychological health, have better relational satisfaction, marital satisfaction, and have better financial stability. It's everything that everybody wants. So why are we not doing it? We don't know how. Most people tell me, I don't know how to set goals with my spouse. What do we do? Two things. Support your spouse in what they're doing and ask for support back. And then create a shared goal, something that you both agree on. There's this phenomenon called um, gray divorce. It happens after all the children are gone 
And, you know, it's a higher likelihood that, well, people look at each other and go, well, who the heck are you? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Because their shared goal, their one goal was parenting. Raise the children, right. get them gone. Now they look at each other and like, do I want to spend life, the rest of the life with you? And do you want, so it becomes kind of a sticky situation. So not only would this help your marriage, but it will help you to stay out of the workaholic trap. It'll help <clears throat> you to keep that balance. So book two is going to start where I left off with fear. It's going to talk about faith. Mm, faith so is a principle of action. Yeah. Faith is what destroys fear. Not mm. hope. Hope is good. Hope is at least have hope. You can always hope for a better day, right? If you right. don't have faith and you're not moving towards something, then at least hold on to it. Don't, don't let go. Don't ever give up on a good thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, but um, faith is actually moving forward. I just got off a phone call with a guy who knows he needs to do something. I was coaching him on this. I'm like, okay, so maybe you can't do the big thing right now, but what's the little thing? Like, what's the very next step? And this is the beauty behind Atomic Habits book. I love that book. I think, you know, I wholeheartedly endorse it. As long as you, you know, don't just change habits because, change them because of your values, right? Make sure that's in place. So if I have all that in place, then just take a step. Yeah. God's not going to so come good. down and push you. He's going to say, hey, I'm going to help you, but you've, you got to move. So yeah. anyway. That's, that's such a good, I mean, that's such a good point to wrap on because that, that idea of that very next step. And I love that you're, that you're, that you're continuing on this book to go from the fear standpoint to the faith standpoint, because that is such, that's going to be such a powerful way. We start with faith to, to, to build on the actions that are going to take us to the next level. And that next level starts with just that small step. Exactly. I like to talk about that 5% step, just the thing that's going to get you just 5% closer to goal. Stack those 5% and you'll eventually reach the mountaintop. Yep. Um, so, and then man, I'll, I'll wrap, let me wrap this real quick and then I'll let you go. But the, the growth part of this is so many clients were like, Hey, I got to balance. I'm balanced now, but now yeah. I want to grow my business. And I found a lot of my clients were willing to give up balance for a while to grow their business. It's like, Oh my gosh. So I'm creating workaholics who then jump back into the workaholic trap. They don't slide back into it. They jump back. Yeah. Into it. So, um, that the rest balanced growth is really, how do you grow and scale a business? How do you 10 X your business as a dad and also keep your balance? And this is where we're going to talk more about the, the importance of your spouse and how you work together so that there can be that accountability. You may not be able to go to a workaholics anonymous, but you have your spouse to help yeah. you make sure you don't become a workaholic for the sake of, well, I've got to grow the business because um, we've doubled and tripled and I've helped other businesses do the same while decreasing the amount of time they spend at work. It is an absolute lie that you have to spend more time to grow and scale. Man, yeah, I, I love that idea. Uh, and yeah, the 40-hour work week is a is a prehistoric product of Amen. our industrial age. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so, I'm so, so glad you're preaching that. And uh, I would love to dig in more into a lot of this stuff and take another hour with you because there's, there's so many directions we can go and you're inspiring a lot of people to change into the right habits to get, you know, to get that balance that they need, you know, and work less and not feel guilty about it and spend more time with their families. 
what better purpose can a person have in life? So thank you for doing that work, uh, Thanks, uh, Travis. It's amazing. And if um, if anybody out there wants to uh, wants to wants to check out this new book or or find uh, Travis, you can go to the balancegrowthbook.com to find out about the new book. There's a neat video on there. Um, you can order it there and get a nice little bonus gift that uh, that Travis is offering. And uh, check out the marketing, uh, or I'm sorry, the uh, maketimeinstitute.com. Um, and balancedads.com to find out more about Travis. And uh, Travis, where else can people find you? Where do, how do you want them to get in touch? Yeah, if they go to balancedads.com or maketimeinstitute.com, they'll see um, how they can connect with me on social. They'll see uh, my speaking website. I do have a podcast that you have been a guest on, or you are a That's guest right. on that we are yet to throw that out to the world. But you know, it's, it's, uh, it is coming. We've recorded it and it's going to be awesome. Um, but yeah, they can follow me there. And I, I love to do challenges and events. So pay attention to that side if you're like, hey, what else can we do? Uh, but yeah, my book, Balanced Growth, um, has already pre-sold uh, uh, number one on Amazon. And we're going to release that in January. So look for that very, very soon. And you know, what a great, what a great thing to, to be uh, going and, and learning about right now at the turn, uh, you know, from 2023 to 2024, trying to make new goals for the business and wanted, you know, it's the health, it's the finance, it's all the areas everybody wants. It's a great time to be jumping in on this. That's so good. Um, And who better to teach it than you, Dr. Travis Perry. Thank thank you you, so, so, so much. Um, I've just been really grateful and blessed to know you for these past few months since we've gone through this. So thank, thank you for taking the time. And before I let you go, I got to ask though, you're a dad of eight kids. (laughs) So you must your dad joke game must be awesome. And I got to hear, what is your favorite dad joke? Uh, like I said earlier, like my favorite dad joke is the one that just kind of flies off the cuff <laughs> because you try to make it so embarrassingly funny and so personal for that person. And like, I love being able to have something that my kids just cringe. Like I just love the cringe face. Don't mm-hmm. you just die for the cringe face? Oh, it's, it's energy. It's, it's the it's, energy we get as dads. <laughs> yes, right. so my wife the other day is like, I, you know, I've told her this many times. I'm like, honey, the secret is, is that you just keep buying in on it. Like, and you follow it. And she's like, from now on, I'm not going to say Trav. I'm like, you are like, you've done it for 20 years, but I love that. Like, yeah. it's just the energy. I'm like a dog, like good energy, bad attention. It doesn't matter. I'm still going to love you. <laughs> right. That's so, so, so that's the best judge. <laughs> but I will tell you this, <clears throat> this is my plumbing one. Okay. Um, so, you know, growing up, my dad's business, he and his grandfather, or he and my grandfather, his dad started a plumbing business and they wanted to be entrepreneurs. And my dad thought it was a, you know, a college gig, but ended up being a lifetime career. And, uh, you know, he, they, they, they told me when I started working there, I was 13 and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd gone to work with my dad. He'd actually take me to work on Saturdays. If he had, he, he took a Saturday a month and, and worked, um, if there were jobs. So I'd go with him. He would take us to work all the time. And I'd be the guy holding the flashlight and doing all the things. But when I was 13, they officially hired me and they started paying me $3 an hour, which was just amazing cash under the table. Um, <laughs> and as I'm digging ditches, you know, they're telling me, okay, this is what you need to know. They said, you know, all you need to know is a plumber, just, just a couple of basic things. Number one, water runs downhill. Okay, check, check. Payday is on Fridays. Check. Never bite your fingernails. (laughs) 
Those are the three rules. Yeah. And honestly, I just like, yeah, you know, the stuff that I've seen as a plumber, yeah, you don't you ever bite your fingernails as a plumber. Definitely it's a not. it's a crappy job. Somebody has to do it, as I mentioned. And you know, I'm what I am grateful for though, I am grateful, and this is kind of on the back end. I'm I'm grateful that there are guys out there doing crappy jobs. Um, mm-hmm. because guys like us who have the plush, you know, seated office jobs. Sometimes I wish I was out there digging ditches again. Sometimes I wish I was climbing on people's roofs and feeling accomplished when I've, you know, put in a kitchen sink or something. Uh, And I'm grateful I don't have to call a plumber and I can do all that. And I have that trade, but man, do we need dirty jobs? So don't bite your fingernails, Adam. I won't bite my fingernails. And and thanks for that joke. (laughs) Plumbing jokes always crack me up. I appreciate that. (laughs) Touche, brother. Touche. That's Dr. Travis Perry, everybody. Thank you so, so, so much for being here. And everybody else out there, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Flow Over Fear podcast. If you're enjoying this show, please do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. I will be so grateful if you do, and I'll look forward to bringing you more value in our next episode. I'll see you then.